and welcome to another spooky episode of the VD Clinic. I'm with you as always, I think I am, at least in spirit. Well, at least in body. Sometimes, hopefully spirit's there too, right? Um, I'm Vanessa, and with me, as always, is Darren. I'm very, feeling very tonal today. <laughs> Stop. How, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. But... Better than me, guess who we have this time? Who do we have? Why don't you say hello? Hello. <laughs> this is Desmond of Desmond's Flicks. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know you were introducing yourself. That You didn't know that either. <laughs> well, you weren't going to, but a walnut fell on my roof and distracted me. <laughs> damn walnuts. Get gets you every walnuts. time. Like, I was waiting for Darren. <laughs> it's the squirrels, the squirrel conspiracy to fuck up my podcasts. They eat my jack-o'-lanterns and fuck up my podcasts. But if you couldn't tell from that, that has nothing to do with Halloween. Welcome to our Halloween episode. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. And um, yes, especially at this spooky time of year, like, <laughs> we enjoy horror, but even though that's not what we always do, uh, we do it a lot, though, I would say. Yeah. yeah, and it's, it's you know, for me, this time of the year is like my Christmas. Um, Same with me. Yeah, it's so much fun. And uh, there's so many great Halloween themed horror films. And with my channel, it's all about horror film so this is just like being a little kid again going through all the movies and discovering some new ones yeah i know it, exactly I, well and do you do the 31 days of halloween no not so much i mean i've been uploading a lot more uh mm -hmm. this month on my channel um but um but mostly just trying to stick with the halloween theme um for this year especially on the podcast that's specifically all halloween uh type themed episodes but on my youtube channel um i've been going through like a lot of giallo films um because i haven't reviewed a lot of giallo so it's been a lot of those films and and going back in and and getting some films like dawn of the dead and just I've like been, the classics i've been rewatching a lot of giallo lately too it's it's such a i, I love that genre so much i um i watched torso for the very first time the other day mm. and it's become one of my favorite giallo films have you seen torso either one of you yes it's yeah. been a minute yeah it's same with me my god it was like it, it was equal parts super sleazy but yes. <laughs> super creepy at the same time um yeah, I and I I don't really hear a lot of people bring up uh, torso. It's always mm -hmm. films like Twitch of the Death Nerve or yeah, uh, you know films like that. But yeah, no, you're right. You're right. It's uh, and yeah, that makes me, that makes me think. Okay, I need to go back and rewatch it myself. The Arrow video release is fantastic. Um, mm -hmm. 
I found on over on a family video, they're doing this sale until the 21st, I think. And it was like okay. 18 bucks for the Blu-ray. Okay. Oh, nice. Family video still has an, a presence. Yeah. I've been buying Blu-rays from something them for a named while. family video has Jallo. <laughs> oh my God. They're, they're doing um, an arrow video sale on a, a vinegar syndrome sale um, to the 21st this month. Oh Yeah. <laughs> I used to go buy a family video when I uh, was a nanny for this kid for a while when I was in college. And you could get a pizza, a movie, a video game, and I think beer at, at the physical presence of family video. Oh, my God. Sounds glorious. I have never heard of this entity you call family video. <laughs> it, it, it's like the... Uh, like rallies or checkers or one of those fast food type places, but not mm -hmm. as popular as the big gargantuans like Blockbuster or I, I don't really, yeah. I mean, around here it's mostly, or before they were mostly all killed, it was all privately owned ones with their own, you know, there was North Campus Video where you'd get the, all the cool J-horror and weird shit that you couldn't get at Blockbuster and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of selections. I mean, I did live in Alabama when I was growing up. <laughs> <laughs> and then Cincinnati, well, that censorship was a whole different issue, too. Where my parents lived for a while when I was uh, younger, there was somebody turned a barn into a video store. And it was called Something Video Barn. And it was massive, but it was just a barn. You went down this road and there was boom right there by the train tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Ohio. Some of it is how you imagine it. But not all of yes, it. Yes, that's true. We could go on with Ohio stories. <laughs> we could, but, but we won't. We shan't. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> Let's see. I think the only geographic location that I really remember is... What, from our book, there's a thing that takes place in New York. Yes. Um, but I, I'm really trying to figure out how to segue us into this. We will probably <laughs> say what we're covering. That'll be a good yeah, way well, to Yeah, why don't you do that? Do that. <laughs> we are doing the horror anthology film Tales from the Hood. Part one. Don't worry, all you people who don't like part two. That's part one. And... Volume one of Clive Barker's Books of Blood. Yes. Yeah, and this is actually the second Clive Barker book we're doing. Yes, because we did Cabal with right. Duncan and Bo last yeah. spring? Summer. Summer. Yes. Have either one of you read the other volumes of the Books of Blood? I've bounced around because I, I remember yeah. I forget which volume the story that Candyman is based off of and other it's stuff. Five. Like that. Is it in five? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Five. See, so, yeah, I've, yeah. I've bounced around, but. Uh... And it sometimes depends on how they're packaged together and what country they're packaged in. That's what right. I, I mean, when I was doing like reading up before the show, I was like, what? Like, that's usually what happens with short stories, though. Oh, they, you know. they can be found in any number of books. Yes, yeah, sometimes. 
Yeah. Or, you know, you'll get something that's like anthology of short stories and then you'll get them released where multiple anthologies of short stories are all released together to make an even bigger anthology of short stories. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, like when we did the the Neil Gaiman short story, Snow Glass Apples, I think we each right. had a different book that had it in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Something you might like if you haven't read it, Desmond. All right. Yeah. I mean, I. Yeah, I, I agree I, with that. It's a reimagining of the Snow White story by Neil Gaiman, if you're familiar with any of his stuff. Oh, okay. But with vampires. Yeah. <laughs> it was on our vampire episode, so it's probably not too big of a spoiler to say it's got vampires in it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. It's, but it's interesting. So, okay, we have all introduced ourselves, we've introduced the material. We maybe we should take a break and get our shit together and come right. back come back with uh, the next segment. Okay. We shall return. This'll keep it quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really. You can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon. And for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. We appreciate it. And thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. And now, another episode of Quarantine Theatre. Hey, this is it, Loco. Uh, hey, man. <laughs> Fuck this. Fuck this, man. I ain't with this shit. Y'all have have this. What? I just ain't into this dead people shit, all right? Shit, man. That place does look evil as hell. Look, man, both of y'all need to shut the fuck up, all right? We're doing this shit because this here's business, man. Besides, dead people ain't know who you, y'all, y'all need to be worried about anyway. Little Mo, who the fuck y'all need to be worried about? Now, the sooner we get this shit, the sooner we raise up out of this motherfucker. Pass the buds, you little bitch. Let's roll, brother. Hey, man. Uh, maybe I need... I need to stay out here, all right? I watch y'all's back and, and shit in case something funny goes down. Wait a minute, man. You gotta get... Yeah, I got my shit. Well, if a dead motherfucker come fucking with you... You kill his ass. You understand me? Yo, 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 hold on. 
Bulldog. How am I supposed to kill something that's already dead? What? Yeah, yeah how, how am I supposed to kill something that's already dead? That's like killing some shit twice, man. Yeah, like some refried beans and shit. Man, I, I never understood that, man. Why the fuck you gonna refry beans some beans, man? Why not just fry that shit right the first time and get out? Look, both y'all just shut the fuck up, alright? Let's just take care of this business and move on, man. Shit. Fuck the dead people shit. Now shut up. Ain't nothing to be scared of, understand me? And we are back. And <laughs> so that was really just an excuse for me to smoke a joint because I'm a method actor, you know, <laughs> during the scene. It's for art. <laughs> it's for art. Yes. <laughs> if that's what you call quarantine theater. But anyway, yes, we are back with Tales from the Hood in from 1995. So IMDb description. I don't know. There could be a better description, but I, whatever. I The tagline is awful. I'm not going to read that. But four short moralistic horror vignettes a la EC Comics that deal with mostly black characters. The framing story introduces three youths put out the three youths out to pick up a drug shipment at a funeral parlor from a strange director, Miss, Mr. Sims. But the three punks, I wouldn't describe them as punks because punks are different, but whatever. Connotation. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, my commentary. Wind their way through the the parlor. Mr. Sims tells them the, li the last stories of some of his more interesting clients. Uh, I guess that's a description. That's a description, but I guess fair enough, except for my... Punks, yeah, uh, yeah, drug dealers. I mean, I, <laughs> I like dealers. <laughs> punks are something different, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking, where's the mohawk? You know, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe it was, I guess, punks in the sense that the guys in this movie would use it, as in loser fake fake guys i liked the summary that i found a little bit better than the summary okay. that you found yeah are we gonna read it or are we just gonna no you can read it oh, okay. if you'd like i think uh, well let's see let's leave it up to uh you two and the listeners uh tales from the hood is a 1995 horror comedy drama directed by rusty Cundiff. huh yeah that's more accurate yeah uh, executive produced by Spike Lee, the film presents four short urban-themed horror stories based on problem concepts that affect the African-American community in the order of police corruption, domestic abuse, institutional racism, and gang violence, all presented within a frame story of three drug dealers buying from uh, buying some found drugs from an eccentric and story-prone funeral director. Yeah. 
that works yeah, that's better. More accurate, yeah. It's just I read these descriptions and I share them because I have to pose the question of, is that what people really see? I mean, like, um, I don't know. Like, I guess <laughs> it's kind of like uh, well, like the the five star reviews for shitty movies and one star reviews for good movies. It's, yeah, it's a unique perspective or a, something like yeah. that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So the funeral director, yes, played by Clarence motherfucking Williams III. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He might have been able to save the second one. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know about that. Because <laughs> Keith, Keith David's pretty fucking good, but he, he is. But he, is. he couldn't even save it. No. Yeah. That's but, my point. <laughs> I mean, what there there weren't a anyway. Whole... We're gonna have commentary. Yeah, we we did watch. Like I think we've all seen the the second one, and we're yeah, it's just gonna come up. But that's what we're not we're not focusing on that. <laughs> I'm just saying, I like that they tried to make it. You know, um, agreed, agreed. I like that the tried. effort was made. Yes. Yeah. And when I heard Clarence Williams III wasn't involved, I was like, oh. and then, but yeah, when they said Keith David, it's like, yeah. And then when I watched it, I was just kind of, okay. There was that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, like I said, I think off mic, I think my experience of it was higher than your two. Well, I guess for me it was, you know, I I really I'm kind of showing my hand early about the film we're going to talk about, but I I think Tales from the Hood is one of the best horror anthologies around, and then the sequel comes out and it just feels like it's just cashing in on the name, and not using any of they're trying to have the social commentary about what's going on, but none of it none of it hits or connects with me. As opposed to the first film, which I feel like, well, it came out at a time that, I mean, it's still the time now with how we are racially divided is still very much in the news. But the first film, it really capitalized on it and really just made you feel like, yeah, that, that's exactly what was going on at that time. Whereas the sequel, it just it, it didn't really feel like it held any weight. Yeah, well, and even you watch this first one, it is still fucking socially relevant, and it seems like it could be made today, except for a difference. I mean, basically, as far as right. you could have the same exact stories written today, and oh. it would ring just as true, you know, but of course you would have maybe some different technology or whatever. Right. That's it. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, these things are still issues. Oh, and yeah. uh yeah especially when <laughs> the politician <laughs> in here <laughs> oh my god the david or the guy with the last name duke yeah no his first mm-hmm. name is duke is it Isn't is it? his first name duke yeah duke but his yeah, last duke, name was duke, um duke metger. metger but his last name was based on yeah like it was a combination of david duke 
and um, Tom uh, Metzger, who was a neo-Nazi at the time. That were really yeah, because um, uh, Rusty Condif, if that's how you say his last name, yeah, I think he, so. he he usually adds a lot of little little things in there. I don't know if either do you own this on Blu-ray as I do. Yes. Did you watch it with or without the commentary? I did not watch the commentary. However, I watched all the extras. Oh, nice. Um, I have the Shout Factory edition. I still got to get that. I don't have that one yet. I, I, I would highly recommend, recommend it. it. Yeah. yeah. But it, I have I have it. I listed, yeah, listened or watched to all the extras on there. But I didn't listen to the commentary. Uh, okay. It, it was, I would, I would recommend that to you. A recommendation <laughs> within the recommendation. But, you know, he did what? Uh, Fear of a Black Hat and yeah. Stuff on Chappelle Show. Uh, was so he involved the, in um, from a whisper to a scream. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's a lot of little things in there, and uh, I do not want to jump to the end, but we are sort of talking about the rogue cop revelation. Or are we still talking about uh, Metzger? Metzger. That's the third story. Whatever. I mean, I just brought that up like. For instance, but we can start. I mean, go from the beginning to the end, whatever. I'm fine when to when go... have we ever gone chronologically on the show? Oh, Handmaid's Hail. That's the only time. That's that's the only time. But I'm I am the agent of chaos. So as long as you're fine going bouncing around, I'm cool. I just didn't want to bulldoze you. It, you know, I'm flexible. OK. Ladies. Um... Desmond. <laughs> Guess. <laughs> yeah. Let's leave it to the guest. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, I'm. I can. I just go with the flow. So, however, however you guys want to go, I'm good. All right, we'll just go Aaron. as the conversation goes. That's that's my preference. So, work uh, your chaos magic. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, this speaking of the second one, sort of tangentially, or is that the word? That's a word. Anyway, the part in part two where they break into the museum and there's the dolls, the racist dolls. I feel like that is sort of a nod to this, but I think this was obviously done a lot better. Right. With the dolls and the painting and the change in expression. Even the stop, I mean, stop motion will always look better than computer animation in this time period. But it actually, it's not bad. Like the effects in here, not too bad. Yeah. And I, you know, if we're talking about, like Even when... compared to things of that day. Right. One, well, even when you compare it to the the sequel, I, I like how the the little the little dolls look a lot better than the sequel looks with the giant one that's running around. Um right. it just it it looked cheap to me and like it was just not like an afterthought. Um whereas with this film, like each individual one of those dolls, like someone had sculpted those and, you know, really put a lot of time and effort into it. And then you put in the fact that there's like that big painting as well. And then having to remove figures from the painting, like there's so much craft within just that episode alone. It, true. And I was going to bring up actually the amount of artwork 
in this film, like in set, like involved in the set dressing because the entire, the police brutality segment with all the murals and graffiti art, like, and just even the basic graffiti that they have all, it's all very elaborate, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's cool also how they're varied. And then you bring it into you see it in other segments too. the funeral home. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he said that he wanted that to be really exaggerated. That's why all of Keith or uh, Clarence Williams, the third's clothes are like made out of velvet and shit. Well, like he he offers the one of the guys after he hits his head on the porch, he offers him a handkerchief filled with or a napkin or whatever. I can't I one of the other filled with um, ice to put on his head. But it's like a silk or satin, you know, napkin type yeah. thing. It, it's not just, oh, it's here. It's something cotton, like a dish towel. <laughs> no, it's elegant. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of attention to detail that I'll try to remember when we get to later. But yeah, they they were very they had a really good uh, set set dresser. Oh, absolutely. No, that I could not get over. Just every single time I watch this, I feel like I find something new in the set, in this, the set in decoration and the props. Every it's very and it's you can tell someone did it with love maybe you know th- maybe that was what was gone from from the second one i don't want to keep bringing up the second one that much because you know but <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this feels more like a, a project of love and it feels a lot more yeah. like a fucking tales from the crypt episode or you know episodes yeah. than the other one does Mm-hmm. The other one just yeah. kind of seems like a movie. Right. Right. Um, but you, you were talking about the the police brutality one and the rogue cops and the, the young rookie cop and the civil rights activist and the street graffiti, the, the mural. Yeah. And the... Well, and it... it make me think so much of Candyman. Ah, yeah. Some of the elements, I mean, which that came out like, you know, what, a couple years before this. Yeah, that was what, 92? Yeah, and this was 95. Yeah. But. And Rodney King was 91. Right. Mm -hmm. And there were, yeah, there were so many others. Um, (laughs) type things but um sorry everybody a cat emergency well i don't know if that was an emergency but it was gonna (laughs) bring the house down um well i what i love that when a guy when the one cop the black cop runs the plates of the man a black man who's being beaten up by the white cops it comes up as political agitator Mm-hmm. Like that's the right. warning that is that the police are putting out over their system. Not like, oh, he's got X amount of traffic tickets. Oh, he's wanted for armed robbery or something like that. No, it's a political agitator. Yeah. 
He's, yeah. He's got a Black Lives Matter sticker on his car. Um, Does he? Or, I mean, he might as well. If, if they made it now. <laughs> if, they, if they had them, <laughs> then he would have, he would have if, it if on If they there. made it now, that's what it would say in the racist cops. who Did they all have Southern accents? Most of them. Yeah, at least the main guy had that that twang. Yeah. One, it you know also just kind of shows the how all the police will just stick together, and even the African American cop, he's like, okay, like it's actually his name is uh, Clarence. Um, yes. Even though he's you know. Of course, he he wants to be able to be a good police officer. He's a rookie. But then it's like he's put into this situation where he's like, well, do I do what's right, you know, as a human being? Or do I just keep within, you know, staying in line with the police? Because now it's like I'm either one or the other. You can't be both. And it's that guilt that he has of just being complicit. Mm-hmm. with the beating and not saying anything and not speaking up or, you know, doing all these things where he feels like, oh, I, I can't now because I'm a police officer. And I just thought how nuanced that was. Yes. And then fast forwarding to later when he's like, the, the guilt has overcome him to the point where he's no longer a police officer. He's a drunk and he's just wandering around in the street. Um, and, his only goal now was to wait until the next year to be able to lure these police officers back. When I worked in um, had a temp job in Cincinnati for their homicide department, I uh, I they the their police force was always being investigated. It seemed like for um, excessive force. And of course, it was, you know, a bunch of white cops against an unarmed black man, that kind of thing, um, unsurprisingly and sadly. And um, so anyway, I there were a couple cops that I got to talk to, like on a more like friendly basis. And one of them, because uh, I also worked in theater and he would also do he would do security detail there every once in a while. And, um, and so I, we talk about it and, you know, here he was black and trying to actually do, he was a genuinely good person. You know, he actually wanted to help people, you know, and wanted to be fair about things. But it's, it's some of the shit that the white officers would say to him and around him on such a regular basis and you could just tell it pained him and he was you know we talk about like how like it's hard when you don't trust your coworker at times and that situation like are they going to turn on you and he's like yeah there have been a couple that have been you know let go because of whatever but then there have been some that they haven't and are still here he wouldn't tell me you know who they were but he was like, yeah, and that's it. That's one of those. That's one of the things that 
yet another thing that added to my distrust of police officers. I'm like, yeah, that's sad when one officer won't say it to another. But it was, and that city just had so many different issues, racial issues um, and, and violent, like police violence issues um, for so long. And we had a, they call it, they call it a race riot in 2001, right before um, I moved to New York. But I was like, yeah, it's not a riot. It's people like a lot of people protesting, just unfair treatment. But in, I don't know. Darren, you know, Ohio, how much, you know, police brutality still goes on there. <laughs> well, <laughs> Way I think, too fucking much. I think here in Columbus, it's the worst in Ohio from what I've seen percentage wise of uh, police brutality. Yeah, no, Columbus is the worst because Cincinnati started getting better finally. And I think Cleveland got better. I think this Columbus is, I mean, Columbus and there's also the, the vice, the vice unit is under federal investigation because there's one uh, sergeant or one officer who, possibly is a serial killer oh, uh, shit. At, at the very <laughs> least there uh it all started with he picked up a quote-unquote prostitute oh yeah that's in his right. unmarked car and took her behind a grocery store where she allegedly pulled a knife on him so he killed her and that started a big investigation. There might be other deaths. There actually, the, well, there are deaths related to him, but now those are being re-examined, and they're also under scrutiny because of the losing the Stormy Daniels lawsuit for busting her yeah. when she was dancing here. So, yeah, we've got that cop that kicked the handcuffed guy in the head. The guy that was on the ground that just ran up and kicked mm-hmm. him in the head. So, yeah, uh, a lot of racist cops out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of places. Uh, but... Nervous laughter, nervous laughter. Yeah. But um... that's what I'm saying. This That's why this film could completely be made today. And where you get politicians who get, you know, or someone like this guy that they pull over and beat up and kill these cops. You know, it's not that prominent black people or people of color in general don't get profiled and killed, too, sometimes. More just profiled and then, you know, beaten up. But, yeah, I mean, Medgar Evers was assassinated. Speaking of people with similar names to his. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, the, the, the cops... Beating up, framing somebody. I mean, there was that Baltimore cop that got busted for planting evidence on something like 100 people. Right. Uh, uh, this, this this first story could easily, easily been uh, told today. Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That that's what, that's why I'm saying this is just so, it's fucked up that we're at this, we're still at this point where... Okay, you know, what's being done? 
not to bring people, not to bring everybody down, but it's just. But that's it's, what, you know, this so is what was missing in this, in this right. movie. It's so impactful the way it's, cause it, yeah, it's the way that it's visually done. It doesn't bring you down and make it such a depressing story. It could, but it's the style is, I, I think that just visually stylistically it's, it does have this comic book quality was, but that's also, I think that era of the nineties. Well, and I, I think that's what was missing from that second film was that what's great about this discussion right now is we're discussing just one of the stories in this film. And there's already so much that we can all bring from our own experiences or what we've seen in our you know, wherever we're from. I'm from Oakland, which has, you know, well, notorious history of <laughs> police brutality. I uh, won't go on that one. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but, you know, that that's one of the things that I feel like was missing from that second film was I don't feel like you could get into as much of a really deep discussion because there really wasn't, they had some themes that they didn't dig deeper into. And, with this one, what I what I appreciate about all the stories, but especially this first one, um, is that no matter what, there's everyone's affected by what's happened, and there's this kind of you know just this effect, this effect that it affects everyone around them, and you see when Clarence is walking around in the city at night that it's like. He feels like everyone is looking at him and that everyone knows what he's done. And, you know, even having each of those police officers taken out by the man that was uh, murdered, Martin Morehouse, um, you know, you just you, you see how he makes an example of each and every one of them and even turns one of them into a mural. Right. Right. It's, I think it's, I, well, I was going to bring it up. I was trying to decide if I was going to bring it up now or I was going to bring it up later, but I guess I'll go ahead and bring this up now. People have like mentioned like, oh, the use of like kind of, oh, you have the dolls in this movie, like when the later segment in the film where the racist politician and, you know, it's like a throwback to voodoo. Well, but here, this entire, this, this, most of this film is, I would say, except for so much the last, I mean, segment. Um, because you have like the zombie kind of situation here in this segment. Uh, and, you know, someone who even, while he is going mad, he is becoming like he's going into a like more of his brain is going on a loop and a trance of a of a sort. It's the same kind of, I guess, not necessarily a literal zombie at that point, but whereas Morehouse, whatever, is an actual zombie coming back from the dead. 
I don't know. It plays on multiple, uh, I guess, meanings of zombie in um, African kind of stories, like in uh, mythologies and religions. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And then you have, I mean, you have still with the second segment with the little boy, you have, again, kind of the same kind of voodoo, hoodoo type thing where... Like the voodoo doll made out of drawings it's a, instead It's of... a voodoo or a poppet that's, yeah, except it's a drawing. It's the same exact purpose, you know. They're, they're, these things, like, pop up just, like I said, except for that last segment with the, the gangs. You really, it's it's in all these other segments. And it's, you know, it's, and it goes to, you see how distinct art traditions that they put in here through the, the dolls. I mean, going, we, I mentioned this earlier, but with the dolls, but with the, you know, the murals here in this beginning segment, I mean, in this first segment, you know, where it is, you know, it came very much out of an area of, in a culture that is primarily um, black and Latino, uh, kind of an urban, you know, scenario. And it's a, you know, a specific art tradition in and of itself. And, I think it's an important inclusion here. You know, even if it's just like something small and like the, like the zombie, whatever, like having the crack pipe in his chest. Oh, right. It's kind of an interesting uh, choice that they do. I don't know. I didn't. Nec- I wasn't necessarily going anywhere with all of that, but these were things that, like, that just kind of kept popping into my head as I was watching this. I was like, "Okay, that's a nice touch, <laughs> you know, a nice touch." I, because I, I've seen this multiple times, but this time I, I, you know, I don't know. Things struck me. That that's the and, way you you watched it this time. Uh, or that's, visually, that's one of the cool things about movies like this is you can sort of. Yeah. Pick, a, pick a lane and go down it through the whole thing and um yeah I, I like the the mythological magic and stuff and the 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 telling of the stories the way that Clarence Williams does it and it, yeah uh, <laughs> well he's a natural born storyteller yes he just uh, has that kind of voice and presence and he did some improv a little bit. Not a lot. Some of this was mm-hmm. written, but they kind of let him plan that out. And he, he's the one that came up with the hair. And that's what they based well, his, in, his entire character off of was his hair. He's like, I'm going to do something devilish with it. And yeah. Yeah. When I I love how they always make him look like he's just so sweaty. He's always sweating, and, <laughs> and he's always he's always mopping his brow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. And 
you know, just going, the shit. Oh, yes. yes. The shit. You know, so good. So, so good. You know, and when he's down, down in the basement, uh, those guys' names are on those books when they look at the books. I don't know if yeah. you saw that. Yeah. But, yeah, their names are in that. And then he just touches the light bulbs. And there's that little sound. Yeah. Uh, that that story itself sells the movie. But, yeah, the boys get bruised. That still makes me uncomfortable. Oh. Watching it. Absolutely. Even uh, And possibly that's why, but it's kind of hard to see David Allen Greer as a an abusive person, but that's the point, right? Yes. Well, and what I thought was interesting in watching the, you know, the extras and everything on the Shout Factory edition is that uh, the director was talking about he purposely, he wrote that and kind of had Al, you know, David Allen Greer in mind because he knew that he was a like classically trained Shakespearean actor and he had the range and he wanted someone that people could see as this just nice friendly guy but what's his other side and he could do the other side and that is actually more impactful and terrifying and that you know and that speaks volumes to that and like just having Clarence Williams the 3rd in here speaks volumes to just the power of casting i think yeah but that segment, uh, I, I agree. Every single time I watch this, that one just really, it, yeah, again, could happen any day <laughs> right now, unfortunately. And the practical effects. Like, the way that his body just starts to contort and you hear the bones mm-hmm. and you just you see it all as he's you know just being turned into like a pretzel basically and all that's left is his head at one point um and that always freaked me out when i saw this because i think i saw this when i was like 12 um and this scene always freaked me out and scared the shit out of me and now it's like one of my favorite effects because it's so simple how you know it looks like a very simple effect that you could do, um, but it it works so well. Um, and even throughout the rest of the film, the practical effects, along with you know, what you brought up earlier, Vanessa, the set design, it it all just gels so perfectly together. Yeah, yeah. The effects, I think, for the whole movie, but definitely for the fourth segment, the the hardcore clockwork orange sort of thing. Uh, that was done by K and B. Yeah. Well, I think they, I, I think that they said they actually worked with some different effects companies for like change it up by segment. Oh, okay. So K and B did the, the wounds they may and have stuff used on the like the same one twice or something, but they changed it up at least. So they didn't have just the same one for the entire film. Which I thought was interesting. I'm like, really? But they were like, no, we wanted to tailor it to the specific effect we were going for. Yeah. And, uh, which is an interesting way to look at it. 
they almost sold that brainwashing table to a dominatrix that they knew. <laughs> nice. She ended up having the same designer make her her own table. Nice. Uh, that was that was one of the things that he was talking about uh, in this part in that part during the uh, director commentary. But anyway, um, I guess that's the fourth one's the only one we haven't really talked about that much. But it's I, I don't know. Other than uh, uh, all those photos in the sensory deprivation tank of the past lynchings and everything, those were all real. Yeah. One of them was from 1984. Yeah. yeah. I mean, wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I grew up and there was a, a lynching in Mobile. <laughs> that was 81. That's fucked up. <laughs> That wasn't that long ago, right? <laughs> right? Not that, not long enough, in my opinion. And and that was yeah. that was just his main point, or the main point of this. Is... And it, and that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the fact that of having the, you know. Bringing these things back to, yeah, having like the images of, okay, the clan, that's partly history, but they're still here. You know, neo Nazis, whatever, you know, the guy that's in next to him in the solitary, that, you know, tombs. Are whatever. you going to be one of my soldiers? That, yeah. that fucking dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like this segment is one that gets overlooked a lot. Um, cause I feel like, you know, people mostly bring up, uh, the one before this with that, with Duke Mecker in it, or they bring up, uh, the boy, the boys do get bruised that second segment or the first one, yeah. but this last one always gets overlooked. And I, I, I feel like a part of it is because there's, I mean, there's still effects, but there's not like. You know, the crazy effects that you saw with the dolls or with the the murals or, you know, mm-hmm. you, those kinds of things. This one is it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like Jacob Ladder in a lot of ways, the way that, uh, yes. you know, some of the scenes were shot. Um, but yeah. what I find so impactful about this segment is just like, you know, he's being shown the history of what's happened to black people. And also shining a light on like, you know, we're are we're already getting murdered by, you know, people that just hate us for just being here. And then you're killing your own people because you want, you know, a dollar and you're just you're just as bad as them. And I just I I thought that was so powerful just having him have that reflected back at him like I'm no better than the clan. I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing it for them. Yeah. And and then just that reveal that this entire time it's been him laying on the pavement dying. And right. he's not, you know, basically confessing that, yes, I was wrong. I didn't do the right thing because he had the time to say, yeah, I confess. I, you know, I, I fucked up and I'm sorry. He couldn't do it. And so he's damned to hell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, you're right. It does get overlooked. And I overlook it myself. I will admit it. <laughs> but I do like it, though. I, it's not that I don't like it. It's just there, there are other things and the other ones that, like, pull me towards them more. Right. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is what I kind of find the genius in this particular segment mm-hmm. because it's not as flashy as the three previous segments. This one feels like the closest to horror. Like the yeah. first segment was definitely horror, but it had like, you know, the the zombies and everything or you have the dolls, stuff like that. But with this one, it's like, you know, this is definitely like giving you that look of like yeah this is shit that actually happens and yeah all the stuff in the other stories they're they're based on things that have happened but this one just feels so much more tangible in a lot of ways um because it's like you know who knows what happens at the time that you die maybe you know you you do have like some kind of a reckoning who knows but i just thought that was so powerful that it's like you know, in that moment of of death, are you are you going to finally be like, yeah, you know what, I fucked up, and I'm sorry, or are you just going to still be, you know, fighting back against, you know, taking responsibility for your actions? Right. Yeah. Darren, what say you? Yeah, I I, I can't I, I can't really. There. I was just I was engrossed in listening. Um. That, that is the cool thing about this movie, and I think that is more of the spirit in it than they I, – I still think that they were trying in the, in the second one, and it's still necessary, but I guess if I was going to say, just go watch the first one again. It's <laughs> I, think, I think personally in that second one, the wraparound story is a mess. That's yeah. something to do with a machine or scientists exactly. or uh, something, something. You know, not like this. I mean, this wraps around with Key or Clarence Williams the Third in body cast, practical devil makeup, with a a questionable computer animated tongue. For, sure, you know, but the rest is for real, and it's glorious. Right. It's, but it does have a stronger message, I think, which in one way is, I think, another message between the two films is well, that. That's part of why I like this movie. You know, that it's I it's refreshing to see something that makes me think a little bit more. And yes, there's horror here that is more on the comedic side. And it's, you know, not quite silly, but, you know, that's fine. And that's, you know, it, but it still has these moments where it's weighty enough in the drama side. And, you know, it's nuanced. It's much more nuanced. And and, that's what I think I like. And if you, have you, either of you seen Fear of a Black Hat? I figured you might have, Vanessa. Ages, ages okay. ago, but yeah. I haven't. Uh, have you seen CB4? 
Oh my god, that's so fucking that funny. Chris Chris Rock parody of a rapper. I know movie. about it, but I haven't seen it. Oh my god. I would say Fear of a Black <laughs> Hat is a lesser known, better version of that that came out first. And it's by the guy yeah. that it's written and directed by this guy who directed this. Um I guess we we should probably before we stop talking about the movie, should say I think it's kind of obvious, but would you recommend this to someone? Um, yes, I would. Absolutely. No, there, there's no question. There's no question. It's, yeah. I, I mean, I would recommend it to a lot of different kinds of people, too. This is an easier recommend, for sure, than some of our past movies, which had to be a little bit more specific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Liquid sky. If you like <laughs> shrimp and 80s drugs, <laughs> have I got a movie for you. Yes. But if the you stuff. like the shit. Well, I... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, I definitely like this is a high, high recommend for me. I mean, it's and it's also like a good. And a good accessible horror film. If you know someone that wants to get into horror, this is a good one as an early film to introduce them to it. Because you get enough of the horror aspect, but then you also get, you know, some fantastical things happen. There's paranormal and all kinds of stuff you want in horror while still having a real message to it. And I think that's what makes this film really stand the test of time and why people still love this one is because it it's it's aged really well yeah some of the effects are a little outdated but there's a charm to it because that's what was available at that time um and the message is still just as um it, it's it's something that is still going on today and something that you can apply to whatever you're going through or whatever's happening in society that it's 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 a film that is to me, is is a classic. Hell yeah! Yeah, yeah. Recommends actually, all around. I, I would say yeah, a classic of the nineties, definitely. Mm-hmm. I I mean, it's what? Oh, don't make me do math, and this is easy math. My Americanness is showing. Um, it's like what twenty three years old. Yeah, something like that. So it's it it could be twenty four. It, it could be on Turner Classic Movies. Yeah. Which isn't the yeah. ultimate test, but it is a a test. Yeah, yeah. So okay, Tales with from that, the hood. Tales from the hood. So with that, we will go to a break, and we will come back with our book, um, Clive Barker's Books of Blood. Volume 1. Be back. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Maddie. Do you like horror movies? I sure do. Well, did you know that most horror movies are inspired by real-life horror? Really? Like what? Well, take The Shining, for instance. That's based on Stephen King's real-life addictions. Or The Purge, which could be our country any minute now. Oh, and The Strangers, which is based on a real-life murder. People should be talking about these things. Hey, 
Guys. Oh, oh hey, producer, producer Michael. Michael oh, well, I hate to break it to you, but somebody already is. It's you. <gasps> That's right. We are Friday the 13th, the podcast where we talk about horror in real life and horror in media, all from an LGBTQ perspective. Because we gay, y'all. We are proud members of the Legion Podcast Network, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come along with us on this crazy journey, and as always, get slayed. All right. We are back with Clive Barker's Books of Blood, Volume 1, published... I've I've got 1984 or 1985. Does anybody have a more definitive printing date? Um, I saw 84 more often than I saw 85. Okay, so we'll go But with I did see an 84 and 85. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Clive Barker, we meet again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> we've got uh, volume one. If you if you just have different if other collections of short stories, everybody out there has the introductory story, the Book of Blood, the Midnight Meat Train, the Yattering and Jack, Pig Blood Blues, Sex, Death, and Starshine. In the Hills, the Cities is the last episode or last story in the volume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Clive Barker, we, we've talked about him before, uh, as we've said. Uh, I've read I've read this before, but it had been a while. Uh, how, how everybody else, Books of Blood, where, where were you with this when we decided on this episode? I had read some of it before because I've read I've read more of his short stories just out of context mm-hmm. out of like other like I mean, like I was saying kind of published in other group you know anthologies of you know short stories and it's something that was originally published though in a different anthology and I haven't read the I hadn't read this an, original anthology. I thought I had, but it turned out I had not. So I had not read all of these before. Yes. Yeah, I hadn't read uh, volume one until uh, this recording, and the ones that I had read were uh, two and three, just because I found it at a half price books for like a dollar. Um, and that was my introduction to to his writing was through volume two and volume three. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we've said before that we've read other things of his aside from Cabal, which we read for the show. But, um, yeah. And, you know, And then it's like you look at like how many of these have been made into movies or TV show like episodes or something. And I'm like, okay, in this one, I think it's there were. Hold on. Three that had been. (laughs) So three out of the six (laughs) had been turned into something. And I'm like, yeah, I know. So anyway, I saw the two movies, the one Book of Blood and Midnight Meat Train uh, before we were recorded. And I, 
yeah, I have thoughts, but <laughs> that's beside the point. Thankfully, we're not covering those. <laughs> I've never heard a nice word said about the Midnight Me Train movie, so I've never seen it. Well, I, it's not. It's, it's on not my back burner. I haven't totally discounted it, but uh, what, what were you going to say? I'll talk about it when when we go to that short story. I, will, okay. I, have, a, I have a thought that I have to bring up then. Anyway. That'll be interesting to talk about because I, I might be on the other side of the, you know, you may not like it as much. I actually really like it a lot, the movie. It'll be interesting to talk about. Well, okay. I, yeah, I have, I, but I have, I have something to say. So I don't completely hate it. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. anyway but you know the the, the book starts do we, want to go through this, do we want to go through this um starting with the book of blood like doing the order yeah, i sure. guess that probably makes i mean we did that with the film we might as well do that with the book yeah and it's it's Just like an anthology you know we're talking about anthologies every good anthology has a good wraparound and the book of blood is is pretty short I forget how many pages it is, but, you know, you can read it in like 15, 20 minutes, something like that, uh, at a casual read. And there's there's this house, you know, it's, it's very gothic, as you come to expect with Clive Barker's stuff. Very, uh, yeah, I, I, gothic. I always think of you know, Mary Shelley and stuff like that when I read Clive Barker. Well, the way he describes certain settings is very gothic, admittedly, but not in a bad way. No, no, no. It's it's a richness without becoming boring. At least for me. I mean, spoiler. <laughs> I like play Parker, but as a general rule, <laughs> he, he it it is it is yeah voluptuous language is is maybe a descriptor yeah. that I might throw at. Clay Actually, Parker. that's probably more accurate because of the erotic element that comes in too. Voluptuous starts entering into that tat- that category. You know, yeah, Clive Barker's never seen a cock he didn't want to describe. Agreed. Down to the vein. He everybody is always horny, which is the breasts too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Um, yeah. So yeah, the book of blood is everybody's trying to scam each other and the dead get their last word. In, uh, literally yeah literally they get their last word Carved. <laughs> yeah <laughs> have either of you seen the movie book of blood no that came it's, out what like 10 no. years ago something like that it came out yeah in 2009 and it's a combination of this and the and on jerusalem street which is the last story in volume six of the books of blood, which is the last of the books of blood. Okay. And so it's like the complete wraparound or whatever. But most of the movie is based on this short story here. Uh, and I watched it, but it, you know, it was interesting to see how it measured up and 2009 effects and, Oh, some bad, some bad effects where you're like, where it started going. Like, okay. You're like, Ooh, 
no, you shouldn't have gone down that route with the effects. You you didn't have the budget. Ooh, it's bad. <laughs> but it, you know, it points out how compelling this story is, is what it does. Because the actors in it aren't completely awful. Uh, but it's it's kind of lackluster because of, yeah, how bad the effects are. Anyway. I, it is it is interesting that this is what is the considered the wraparound. Yeah, entire multiple anthologies. I think having uh, I was thinking I mean, about that a little sense. bit. Yeah, because it it's sense, an easy way but... to just go however it goes because mm-hmm. each one of these stories is one of the stories carved into his body. Right. Uh, so it can be as random as it wants to be because it's all focused on that part. But I haven't right. seen the movie and I haven't read the the on House on Jerusalem Street or whatever final story. I haven't finished. So I can't, yeah. really, can't really speak to how I feel about it. Yeah, I know. I'd like to read that. But it, from what I know of it, it seems... It's not very long, and it's, yeah, it doesn't do much. <laughs> I mean, it it's just this basically sent a kind of idea of, and it continues. <laughs> you know, there is no end. And it does damage, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know. What are your thoughts, doesn't <laughs> Haven't heard from you. We won't shut up. Yeah. <laughs> um, like about just the wraparound or well, the book this, in general? Well, the book in general, but also this wraparound, this short story. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really, I didn't really pay as much attention to it, I guess, on the, the wraparound. I was more, more interested in the, the, the short stories themselves. Um, I mean, I think it's a really cool idea and I, I feel like a lot of Clive Barker's work is a lot of really cool ideas, mm-hmm. um, especially as films like Nightbreed, I think is a really cool idea. I don't know in full execution if it works. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate his writing, um, right. and his craft and his stories. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I, the the one that always that was sticking out to me when I was reading this uh, was the was the Yattering and, and Jack. Um, I know I'm jumping ahead, but that that was one of the ones that always when I was reading through this, I was like, that that one always calls out to me as an interesting story. That was uh, Tales from the Dark Side episode, eventually, right? Right, that he wrote. Okay. Which I, I have that one. Out. I haven't. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it, but he wrote it apparently. And yeah, it's 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 a much more comedic tone compared to the other ones, and it's interesting that it's included in here. Great. You know, you're like, wouldn't there be like maybe at least one more, one other one, kind of with a, a similar tone? But it's not to say that he doesn't have these moments of kind of this dark humor just peppered throughout 
my cat <laughs> agrees with that. Uh, yeah, the the Yattering and Jack reads to me more like a, a screenplay than some of the other stories do. Uh, you can sort of visualize it as a play a little bit easier than than some of these. But, you know, with uh, the Midnight Meat Train, that some of the, we're talking about how a lot of his, his writing can be described as voluptuous writing. And I'm trying to think of a good adjective for his really gross writing. I, I actually, one time I just was getting overwhelmed with the grossness of some of the descriptions he had uh, near the end of the Midnight Meat Train that I just actually sat the book down for a second. I'm fine with that. And actually, okay, perfect segue. Midnight Meat Train. I really like this one a lot. And I, I, it, it also, it's, it's a game for me to sit and play. Okay, he's riding the F train in this scene. Okay, he's riding the A train in this scene. <laughs> like living in New York. It's interesting how distinct. it. I know on our referral slip, I was talking about how I had been, I had uh, read this and seen the movie and how I started thinking about the the subway and in like the city as a character and a story. And in this story, New York or the city is such a character too. And it's, I think the, like you're saying, Clive Barker has this voluptuous way of describing things. And even when it's something gritty and grimy and just gross, it's still voluptuous. It's something about it is. And that, again, that's <laughs> why I, part of why I enjoy Clive Barker. Um, I think this is a really, I don't know, it, 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 you know, makes you think of, like, takes Chud to a whole different level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It made me, uh, reading the story, not watching the movie, but reading the story made me definitely like look at people on the subway platform a little different for a minute. <laughs> Just, I was kind of like, there's okay. a city father right there. No, or there's, okay, is that a butcher in disguise? <laughs> like, Okay, let me check my escape episode, you know, my escape plan there. (laughs) They have no tongue. Let's get out. Let's get the fuck out of here. (laughs) I was looking for that damn ring. (laughs) Oh, God. I don't know. What what about, I mean, what did you guys, what did you think? In the, the story? Yeah. It was a lot more vivid because I had more recently been in New York than the last time I read this. So that was that was nice. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things about that I love about Clive Barker's writing is that it is so vivid. Like you can you can really see all of these scenes playing out. Um, I may have been at the disadvantage of seeing the film before uh, reading the story because um, I watched the movie years ago, um, and so when I'm reading the book, I'm I'm like seeing a specific scene playing out in my head. 
Um, which I do have to give credit that they were able to like flesh out an entire story around this small portion of you know the movie. They were able to flesh out so much more in that film around this little story. Um, but yeah, it's so vivid. I feel like I can see all of those things happening, and I can see the butcher, and you know, I I can see Leon going through through everything, and then just the chaos that ensues. But I give I've got to give you my gripe about the movie. My biggest gripe, it's not. I mean, it's not bad. It, truthfully, I get like as far as the general story, the gist and feel of it goes, but. It's the fact that why did they change it to L.A.? It's not necessary. You could do it in New York just as easily. It would work. And I don't know. It's something because it feels like it's such an intricate part of the way that the story is written. As far as like New York, even though, yes, there are parts that are cleaned up some, it's still when you're talking those settings, the meatpacking like areas that's still grimy. Like, <laughs> like that's right. fucking grimy as shit. You no, know, you don't need to be filming on Times Square, but there are plenty of other subway areas that are grimy. <laughs> you know, it's, right. um, I don't know, it, but it just seems like because New York City has this sense of, uh, it doesn't feel it feels like it's easier to get lost here compared to LA because there are more people so that something like this could go on. Like, I don't know. It's the, I guess the idea I buy it more in a city like New York, not that bad shit can't happen anywhere, You, you know, especially if they're targeting people who are not, you know, who are the unwanted in society. But the quote unquote unwanted. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like I said, that's my that's my gripe about the movie. But and I mean, it, it was okay that they added the whole situ you know added situation of him having whatever the girlfriend and whole thing because. They involved her with trying to find out the you know the mystery behind these what's going on. Oh. So I mean they did at least flesh it out, I guess, a little bit better in the way that I mean a transition to story you know, to film and expanding a short story into something, you know, a little longer. It wasn't the worst way it could have gone. But Right. You know, even though they still didn't necessarily need to have whatever romantic thing at the same time, they could have gone that route just as easily. But it works fine, and she's not just standing there serving the purpose of arm candy. So, I can handle that. I'll let I'll let it go. <laughs> I'm such a salty. Well, what I what I liked about the well, what I what I liked about the film was that it actually like. It, it felt like it, it kept the brutality from the story because the, right. the film is brutal. Oh, it's absolutely. gory as hell and it's got some really good effects. There's some, you know, sketchy CGI in there. Like there's an eyeball that pops out at one point where I'm like, eh, 
doesn't work so well. But there's some there, there's some good kills and gore in this film. Oh no, it, no, and the way that it's I mean, when you hear about the way that they like oh, they hung up extras, you know, to uh <laughs> basically for the different scenes. Yeah. It was uh rather than making like a couple different films I've I've watched recently have done that kind of thing where they're like, oh, it's too expensive to <laughs> to make, you know, these fake dead bodies that have been like sliced up like me. Let's actually just, you know, use, you know, extras and throw makeup on them. So I'm like, oh, OK, give those extra those extras better get, you know, some extra money. That's yeah, there can't be just, you know, scale at least wet pay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm bringing my job into this. <laughs> Anywho, um, okay, so um, Yattering and Jack. I mean, I guess I liked this one more each time I went through it. Yeah, I liked it better the second time I read it. Uh, uh, I guess a little bit behind the curtain. I finished up reading this before the original recording date. And then uh, I casually went back through from the beginning. So I'm about halfway through Pig Blood Blues, and then my memory is going to get hazier as we go. Uh, But Yattering and Jack, it's... (laughs) Who doesn't love a good demon torturing a person story? You know, (laughs) uh, Jack... What he's a gherkin salesman or a gherkin importer, a gherkin importer. Yeah. Yes. And his his mom found a way to break a deal with Beelzebub, and so it, he sort of sends his intern demon to torture him. It's <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah, you know, uh, it would, and that's the yattering, and there's all these little rules that the yattering can't do, which are nice. Uh, well, I don't know about nice; they're they're entertaining plot points. And uh, how how do you people feel about the the cats in this story? Uh, is that one of your sadder points, um, or angrier points? No, it's just a, it just is. It's just a thing. It's just, yeah, it's just a story. Poor Jack's cat. Yeah, I mean. I mean, like, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just that story. That's, that's all. Uh, and of course, it's Clive Barker. So there's got to be the woman that walks around naked all the time across the street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, Sure. Why not? I mean, what story is the quota? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I like that Jack is just saying "fuck you" in the most passive-aggressive way the whole way through this story. Yeah, it's fun. I don't. I. I. I had to have seen the Tales from the Dark Side episode because I feel like I've seen them all, and I've definitely seen. Up through season four, which is when this one is, uh, right? Is but I'm gonna have yeah. I'm gonna probably revisit that before 
I check out Midnight Meat Train. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's one that I got to check out, too. I've, I've never seen this Tales from the Dark Side episode. So, I don't know. Uh, anybody else have anything they'd like to expound upon in the Yattering and Jack? No. Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like you, you hit a lot of the the key pieces. I mean, I, I just think it's a really fun story and how, you know, Jack is trying to trick the Yattering into violating his orders and mm-hmm. trying to find that loophole to make, you know, Yattering his slave, like stuff like that. You know, it's just, it's, it's a really fun story. Yes. Now on to yep. Wicker Man on a Farm. aka pig blood blues (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so we've got the policeman or the former policeman what's his name redman yeah going to uh, no it's redman from (laughs) from method man and redman star in pig blood blues (laughs) Oh my god, it's so different. <laughs> <laughs> so different. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now that's how I'm going to see it. Uh, <laughs> but something is afoot in this sort of young man's prison school slash asterisk sort of place. Something. You know, there's a warden type person and there's all these... There's a pig. Uh, I mean, if you're listening to this part, you're probably already read the stories or you don't care. But this this is kind of one I in thinking about is mostly just like I said, Wicker Man on a Farm and read it if you haven't. There's there's the mystery and then the slow reveal and then the holy shit and. Yeah. Red man, I, you know. I had a I had a hard time uh, actually getting into this, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Same. know why, but it, it would just and I tried to reread it and it was like, okay, it was a little bit better, but I was still having a hard time. This one works better, I think. I I've got the book, the physical book. And it was it was a little rougher to read, but I also have this on audiobook. It's a little bit more interesting as an audiobook because it's kind of like an old radio play. I listened to it as an audiobook. Oh, okay. As so, yeah. well as read it, yeah. Um, well, and I figured this would be harder for you to get into than Sex, Death, and Starshine, which is what? Twelfth Night plus spooky shit? Spookier shit? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, no, that was really easy, especially with the whole theater setting. Yeah, yeah. I could relate. <laughs> I mean, not so many corpses, but I've worked in enough haunted theaters in my day to, yeah. <laughs> did we transition into that story, or did you guys have something you wanted to say about? I don't well, know. I mean, I think, like, the only thing I want to say about the Pig Blood Blues is, like, I feel like... I feel like some of the other stories are a bit more creative and I feel like 
Pig Blood Blues just isn't it just it feels kind of just rehashing another mm-hmm. idea. Um whereas I felt like you know, Midnight Meat Train and the Yattering and Jack I found to be a lot more entertaining and interesting. Um so I don't know, I just it just kind of felt like that like when you're going through a when you're watching a movie where it has like a really good opening and then the middle of the film is kind of a lull and then it ends on a high note like yeah. it just this just kind of feels like that filler story that got jammed in there to meet the the page quota <laughs> <laughs> sorry no you know that's actually a valid point that's a very valid point <laughs> yeah well, there, there's that. Uh. <laughs> well, no, Darren. I mean, what do you think? Well, uh, like I said, it was it was hard to read, so I tried it in the audiobook fashion, and it was okay to me. Um, but, you know, I, I we've already talked about my favorite story. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's a shock that. Pig Blood Blues is not my favorite story. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's there. It's the... Um, I'm not sure. But I, it, it's not a bad story. It's just uh, surrounded by better ones. Mm-hmm. This is kind of how I felt about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it was a bit slower. And, you know, so, uh, I guess moving forward into Sex, Death, and Starshine, that seemed a little bit more in sync with the rest of the stories, maybe? Right. You know, like, yeah. maybe that's maybe that's what Pig Blood Blues was sort of the noir narrator breaks in for a second mm-hmm. <laughs> into the horror stories. And then it was like, oh, yeah, let's, let's, let's end the mystery with the, the kid's possessed by a pig or the kid's possessing a pig and it's a dead body and it's gross but yeah something <laughs> you know sex death and starshine is like a play within a play there's the the couple and the double crossing and the what did what did you guys uh let's see who who read this for the first time was this you desmond this is the first time you read this story yeah, this was the first time I read this story, and it it kind of reminded me of another story um, from I think it was book. Gosh, I want to say maybe it was like book three, um, and it's it all takes place inside of a inside of a film. But anyone that comes out, like people can come out of the film and attack you, um, and I just like I I, I like how it, it kind of reminded me of that story. Um, I do like the story. I do feel like um, the other story I'm referring to is a bit better uh, crafted, um, which might be like, a, you know, showing how he's getting better at his writing or his craft or just kind of, you know, different ideas. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was a nice change of pace from pig blood blues. Cause like you were saying, Darren, it falls more in, in line with the with the tone of the rest of the stories. Um, it just feels a lot more. I mean, of course, it feels more theatrical, 
Um, but I, I think that's where Clive Barker really shines is when he gets, you know, more into the theatrics of, of a storyline. Well, and considering he has such a background of working in theater, it makes so much sense. And it feels very personal kind of to me as a, as someone who's worked in theater and, and, you know, and knowing his background, it's like, yeah, it just makes sense. And you can just tell he feels at home writing it, even though, yeah, you can, I mean, this is still earlier in his career uh, than some of his other, you know, other writings. And it definitely, you're right, feels more in sync with the rest of the stories. Yeah. Right. And it has, you know, a little touch of humor thrown in there. I'm try- I was trying to think of some of the names, if there was any significance of, uh, what, Terry Calloway, Diane. Uh, Diane Duvall. Of course it has to be a name that, you know, the alliteration. <laughs> Tallulah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, uh, I don't think we're probably <laughs> expected to go super in deep uh, on these no short stories because no, we we've got six to get to. We've got one more. Yes, the hill, in the hills, the cities, which is probably a album title somewhere, or at least a song title. <laughs> or wait, <laughs> well, there's what the, the line in here that's in the Pretty Hate Machine, the that song Sin. Oh yeah, uh, stale incense, old sweat, and lies. That, yes. that line. Yeah. So you're close. Um, <laughs> this this one's a little fuzzy in my memory because it's the longest away. So uh, Vanessa, you're it. Tag. I'm it. Yes. This I hadn't actually read before, but it had been a long time. Uh, it's an interesting kind of... Uh, just what we've said earlier, just way he creates these worlds, and it's so like intricate, and you can completely visualize it. And I... It's interesting. I both read this and listened to the audio book mm-hmm. of it, and, and it's just, and to, you know, it just, yeah, what goes through your head as far as you're just completely picturing this world that he's creating. E- either way, you know, and that, you know, you can't, it doesn't, not every story does that. Like you were saying earlier, Darren, about Pig Blood Blues, you know, it's, there's a difference, but the way it registers, I think, with your brain and the way you're consuming stories and the way you're reading something that, I mean, truly good stories, it doesn't matter how you're consuming it. But, yeah, I don't know. That was something I did notice this time reading this story. Right on. But a lot of it, like I said, yeah, is and just it's the vivid, you know, descriptions of the world that's being created. Yeah, I mean, it. The story is a trip. <laughs> like <laughs> this is probably, I, I mean, considering all of these stories are just like pretty out there, 
this one is like the most I feel like this is the most extravagant. I mean, you have these giant, you know, these there's all these people that are walking and there's a single giant that's as big as a, as a skyscraper. Like that's fucking wild. That is such a wild idea and that you know this ritual occurs every 10 years. Well, and in the even crazier thing is is that I was listening to the audiobook while I was commuting around in commuting in New York and I work in Midtown kind of near Times Square and there are a lot of those skyscrapers and stuff. So I started imagining like in this whole other level, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you, you're kind of like, Oh my God. And, but I didn't have to see that around me to get the same image in my head, you know, but it's such a mind boggling idea. Oh my God. That reminds me of a bad acid trip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it. as you were talking about that and as we're talking about, you know, the big skyscrapers and the giants and, you know, the the people are just kind of wandering aimlessly and people go mad in these, you know, with these giant monster skyscrapers. That's exactly how I felt about 15 years ago when I accidentally took acid and I was walking down Market Street in San Francisco, and it was the worst thing I've ever gone through. It was awful. Oh, accidentally taking it is never ends well. That, <laughs> no. Accidentally not. taking anything never ends well. Doesn't matter <laughs> what it is. Just when you're like not expecting it, and then shit starts to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good. <laughs> It never ends well. <laughs> I was fortunate so far. That's why I, I roll my own joints. Uh, yes. <laughs> Amen. Uh, Amen, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> Always roll your own joints, kids. Um, moral of the story. Yeah, the moral of volume one of Books of Blood. Roll your, like joints, your, roll your own mix, joints. Always mix your own drinks, too. Yeah, mix your own drinks. <laughs> That's uh, too. Ne never go into a funeral home with Clarence Williams III. Well, I don't know. <laughs> he tells a good story. <laughs> he does. And if you're already there, you you know where you are, so you might as well go through with it. Might as well. Hey, I, I dig funeral homes. I've had... A landlord that ran a funeral home across the street from the apartments. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just, <laughs> uh, okay. I was in a funeral home a lot for a while. And then I used to live right next to the <laughs> cemetery. I mean, you know, <laughs> just saying. There's a funeral home slash uh, crematorium former a couple blocks away. That it's definitely used to be a funeral home. I, the chimney, the smokestacks make me think that it might have had some cremation services. But anyway, they usually do. It's well, the being older ones turned into some sort of daycare center. <laughs> some, there's somebody is putting a playground in front of it. Yeah. And there's, there's a <laughs> sign out there that says enrolling now. Oh, um, yes. 
So it's going to be interesting. I've had my eye on it because it's, you know, you're walking, it's a couple bus stops pass or if I'm, you know, just heading to that part of the neighborhood. It's just right there. You go past it. It's please, please let every student that goes in there be a goth <laughs> and be like a, a goth, goth daycare a center. Goth that would be the best thing ever. Yes, <laughs> this might be a neighborhood where that might happen. If that was going to happen here, I'm just saying that would be the best. <laughs> yes, that'd be awesome. I'll... Such a little Wednesday and Pugsley Adams type kids. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I have no idea <laughs> sorry that was I, I digress <laughs> you know I, I don't know who who bought it and what the deal is but it's been under construction and it, you know it it's it's a horror story in the making or a really cool <laughs> goth daycare center yeah yeah you could That'd do a lot awesome. with, you, you could do a lot with that actually no, they're very interesting buildings. My parents worked in funeral home before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> Did I tell you that? I have all these weird I connections so. to funeral homes. <laughs> and cemeteries, yeah. I sent one picture I took when I was walking past to our our group chat. Um, but yeah, it's it's just there, you know, between... Uh, an apartment building and a Mexican restaurant. There's just this thing up on a hill yeah. on its own sort of section. And yeah, it's going to be interesting. But so that was books of blood volume one, I think. Yeah. <laughs> by this, that by was. This digression. I, I, we, I think we, I think we wrapped it up, but um, what's yeah. your favorite like, before we do, what's your favorite? I mean, I think we kind of said some things, but. I mean, most of the time, my favorite is the Addering and Jack, but sometimes it's Midnight Meat Train. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm about the same. Like, I I, I do like uh, the Yattering and Jack a little bit more than Midnight Meat Train, but those are both my favorites out of these. See, between me, with me, it's between Midnight Meat Train and Sex Death and Starshine. I had a feeling that might have been your favorite, just because of all the theater stuff. Hey, yeah, yeah. But the Yattering and Jack and and um, is definitely, yeah, it's definitely strong too. But I think, and I think overall, I would recommend this. Oh yeah, to anybody who wants to, to read something um, in the horror genre. You, know, you can pick your way through too. So, you, since you're not doing a podcast on it, as far as I know, you can skip a story that you don't like and go on to the next one. It's I, I, I like a lot of Clive Barker stuff, but every once in a while, there's one that's just not really up my street. So it, it's nice to like, be able to bounce around with the variety. Well, like we were saying, if you wanted to skip Pig Blood Blues or something, maybe come back to that later. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> you know it's not bad but it's right. just it's not the first one you should go to right i mean that's that's kind of like what i do with like um you know let's say like masters of horror or tales from the yeah. crypt 
Like, eh, there's a few episodes where I'm like, I'm going to skip that one. Not my favorite. But you're always going to find something out of all of those stories that you're going to enjoy. And I've read three of the books so far. And, you know, it's they're a little uneven, but I think any anthology is going to be uneven. Um, But they're still super fun to read. But the good thing to me about anthologies, not just short stories, but also filmed, is that you can find some segment of it that you enjoy. You know, you have that option, even if it's not the entire thing. Or you don't enjoy all of it equally. It's not the end of the world. You know. Hello, Darren. Oh, Darren. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Clive Barker, we we kind of gave ourselves away last episode. We are big fans. Um, yeah. You know, we didn't have Desmond on because he's going to talk a bunch of shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you could have. Maybe. You I mean, it would have been at least an interesting discussion. Um. <laughs> I could still talk some shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. The shit. <laughs> the shit. The shit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, on that note, we will, um, Darren and I will let you go. After you definitely. plug anything you feel like plugging. Yeah. Where where can people usually find you? Yeah. Um, so I have a podcast, Desmond's Flicks. So that's on Legion Podcast Network. And, you know, if you just... Do a Google search. You'll you'll find me on Apple, uh, Podbean, Stitcher, all those places. Um, and then I have my YouTube channel, which is called Desmond's Flicks as well. Um, and um, mostly do movie reviews over there, um, focusing on a lot of uh, Giala this month. Um, have a Candyman retrospective coming out at the end of the month. Oh, yay. Um, so, yay. yeah. So, Going to go through that and then um, talk about uh, Halloween 3 on Halloween Day, um, as well as a um, live stream. Yeah, um, as well as a live stream. Um, if you're you know, plugging my Patreon here, but if you're a, a patron over my Patreon, uh, we can all hop on Skype and go on my YouTube channel and watch a movie together. And then everyone can chat with us and hang out. Um, and so we're... I think we're between like Hocus Pocus and Beetlejuice right now, but what we're going to choose to watch. Um, And then social media, um, Desmond's Flicks at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Great. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you both for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. Bringing a little sanity yeah. to <laughs> to our map. <method. laughs> <laughs> well. Not a lot. I mean, you know. <laughs> Maybe just least, a, a scotch. Slightly classing up the joint for a moment. <laughs> How about that? I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Thanks. we will, yeah, we will say goodbye to you. And then after a quick final break, Vanessa and I will be back to send this. To the mortuary. Or no, was a, a better yeah. thing. A more, yeah. Anyway, end this yeah. episode. We will be back Send to, us end to the this grave. Episode. Send this episode to the grave. Yeah. But yeah, thanks again. <laughs> uh, we'll be right back.
Faye Ray. <coughs> Janet Lee. Adrian King. Heather Langenkamp. Amy Steele. That weatherman who saw the cockroach. Oh my god! Jamie Lee Curtis. And you. Come on. You know you wanna. Let her rip. There. Now don't you feel better. You are now officially a Scream Queen. Come play with the rest of us at www.screamqueens.com. That's Queens with a Z. Or you could subscribe to us on iTunes. Either way, it's going to be fucking fabulous. The Scream Queens Horror Podcast. It's where horror gets bent. And we are back. We um, need to announce our the winner of our book giveaway. Yay! Yes, we uh, those two David Wong books, hardback. So um, chosen by random, Darren. Please tell us about this process. Yes. Please uh, tell us this highly scientific process that well, I had no part of. It. Yeah, okay. So uh, one of my other thousand podcasts that I do was having trouble deciding between a couple movies. So I downloaded, I call it the Wheel of Destiny app, but that's not really its name. I can't tell you exactly what its name is right now off the top of my head because I that's gave fine. it its own name. But you type in all the options that you want and it, it's a spinny wheel and it comes up with a winner and it makes the decisions. And we had our entry in the Flick Chat app, which is still kind of new. So yeah. we had two entrants. Each of them had four chances on the Wheel of Destiny to be the name chosen, since there were only two people. We had Lance and Lonely Bob. And it was Lance who came yeah. up. And I, congratulations, I, yeah. Lance. Congratulations, Lance. And best of, I, there's probably going to be another book book giveaway after... Oh, there will definitely be more book giveaways. Um, so, you got so, good odds right now. Yeah, the people have good odds. So, yeah, thank you, thank you for um, participating, Lonely Bob. I I know actually I could probably get another book to send you <laughs> too, but maybe you don't want another book. So, <laughs> but if you I don't do, know. if you do, if say you do, something. Say something, definitely. <laughs> everyone's a winner like everyone's a yeah, winner right no if you're up for another book yeah especially because there were two people that entered i mean this is a new thing so you know of course i can't give something out to everybody every time <laughs> that but um yeah lance it's gonna be two books so that's pretty cool and um yeah so we will get in touch and uh get i will send those out to you but um, anyway, so anything else? What are we? Uh, what are we doing next month? 
next, on the show. Next well, month. Hmm. our next thing we're going to do is a referral slip. But what after that? What's our next month's our, show and book? Our next official numbered or whatever episode in the VD Clinic theme is Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai, and Rashomon. The book, not the film. Yeah, not the film. Although I considered at some point doing Rashomon, the film, the Kurosawa, but perhaps that's down the road. We shall see. That hasn't been ruled out, but that is not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing for next month. No, no. Um, And hopefully we will have two guests. We should have. Uh, That is still in the planning process as we speak right now as of recording um but yeah so you know you know the drill vd clinic pod at most social media places and you will find us thank you for listening thank you we as always we appreciate you uh listening and your feedback and yeah and there will be more book giveaways definitely and you never know something else might come up too who knows okay well on that note happy halloween everybody happy halloween (laughs) we're ghosts we're really spooky ghosts maybe (laughs) okay kill you when she sees you cut holes in her 500 dollars sheets exactly i was just gonna say (laughs) exactly Thank you.